closing time. It is indeed that time of year, less than a week to go until National Signing Day on December 19th, the first National Signing Day. Let's not get them confused. There's another one coming up in February, which, of course, has kind of changed the whole dynamic of the process. Uh, Tyler Donahue, I'm Sean Fitz. Uh, we've been following the process for years now, both you and I. It's, um, I think it's a double-edged sword. You've got this signing day in December where you're going to sign most of your prospects, all those guys that are committed to Penn State expected to sign, um, and as well as a few guys announcing uh, – uh, up until that date and on that date, um, but it's it's kind of crazy how that was, it's worked out. We've talked about it before how it uh, ex- ex- exposes some of the prospects that don't sign and sort of helps them out. So arguments can be made both ways, but like I said, we've talked about that before. So we're just going to focus on December nineteenth, the big signing day coming up for Penn State, uh, and it, it should be exciting. You know, six days until then. Yeah, and this is like yeah, it's the game changer with this early signing period, the second annual event. And, you know, last year clearly showed it with Penn State. I think the plan is uh, if one of these commits doesn't sign on December 19th, well, that's a major red flag. I think we fully expect anyone who is committed to Penn State to be on board with this class officially uh, in the wake of that day. And um, as we know, 16 players in the class right now, Sean, several moving parts out there. You know, Franklin's all over the uh, all over the place, logging these miles down to the wire. The contact periods in crunch time and. Uh, We're going to get our answers in a a matter of a few days, but as you'd expect, in the case of 17, 18-year-old young men trying to determine where they're going to go to college, a huge decision in their lives, uh, it's not always easy to get to that final choice. Brian Doan and I of uh, Brian Doan of twenty four seven Sports, of course, uh, have been talking on the phone probably six or seven times a day in the last uh, week or two, and we always pick up. And one of his favorite lines is, he just picks up and says, "I love this time of year." And then he tells me what's completely different from yesterday because everything is changing every day. It's so fun to to sort of follow along. Um, it's it's probably excruciating to follow along for some people, but we're going to talk about uh, talk about that Jan or excuse me the February signing day because January can get crazy. Uh, you're talking about prospects that aren't going to sign in December, like Mark Anthony Richards out of Florida, Doug Nestor, who may not sign with Ohio State on uh, on next Wednesday. Suddenly, did Penn State come in, swoop an official visit, and get into the mix there? That could be a big deal. And then you've got late risers like Smith Vilbert, who, depending on which day you ask, it, it will tell you he's signing in December, tell you he's just signing in February. So it's just fascinating to see where this can go, because Penn State, with 16 commits right now, um, you're, you're looking at adding a handful of guys before Wednesday and then moving on and trying to close strong. So the the drama is definitely there. There's a lot of guys out there that uh, are still legitimate options, guys that we think will end up in Penn State's class, guys that could go either way, and guys that we, we don't think will end up. But it's it, it's going to be fascinating. Yeah, and I mean, logistically, I think it's some of these guys just need to wait until February. I think the, the worst thing some of them can do is force a decision upon themselves here in December. You know, someone who stands out, I think, as a great uh, example of this is is Penn State's latest offer, massive offensive lineman at Indianapolis, Dewan Jones. Penn State extends that offer on Tuesday. A 2019 offensive lineman. We know that they're looking to add at least another player to that offensive line group. And this is a guy, six foot eight. 360 pounds who did not have a, a power five offer until right about Halloween. Joe Moorhead in Mississippi State stepped in. But since that, I mean, it's been Southern Cal. It's been Ohio State. It's been Michigan. Just since last Thursday, Penn State joining Auburn, 
Texas and uh, and a collection of teams there now. And for someone like him who, who still has official visits to use, I don't know how you can possibly try to come to your best educated decision by this upcoming Wednesday. And, and in that case, you know, that that's where I think you, you really look to those kind of players, the late risers. Um, I, I think January belongs to a lot of those late risers. Absolutely. And guys that are losing coaches, we saw Manny Diaz going to, uh, to Temple to take the new job. So Miami, of course, we're going to talk a little bit about Miami uh, related to John Dunmore in a little bit, but coaching changes are happening. A guy that Penn State offered, uh, Tristan Miller, is committed to NC State. His offensive line coach up and joined Scott Satterfield at Louisville. Uh, it's just there's, there's a lot of things that are going to change in a, in, a, in a short period of time. And and you're right. I think signing uh, now for some kids, it's, it's a risk versus reward situation. These coaches want these guys to sign as soon as possible, get them in the boat, and make sure that they you know stand by because they don't want to recruit them for an extra six weeks. So uh, fascinating to watch that. Dewan Jones you mentioned and we've been talking about Dewan Jones on the site for a few weeks not because you know Penn State's always been involved or you expected Penn State to, to throw their hat in the ring but this dude is 6'8 uh, you know I'm not sure what he's listed at weight wise but he's probably bigger than that 360 360 uh, I mean he's a, he's a short stack away from 375 but he's uh, he's a basketball player and he looks good playing basketball I mean he I sent you a video yesterday where he's drop stepping on guys and you know he's he's six seven six eight so that's not, that's one thing but to get 360 up as quick as quickly as he does that's going to turn a lot of heads when you're talking about major college football coaches i i don't know if we have any uh you know, listeners where in, in the area where I grew up, but uh, in the well, I'm from Greencastle, Pennsylvania, and right across the border in Hagerstown, Maryland, there was a guy named Mike Lee. Mike Lee is, is, is sort of legendary in that area. He's about six four, probably three fifteen, and man, he could dunk like nothing. And he was also a running back for South Hagerstown High. And you did not want to get in his way. So add fifty or so pounds to that, and that's and, and four more inches. That's something you don't want to guard in high school. But Dewan Jones, I agree with you wholeheartedly. This is a guy that probably should be out there taking visits he's taken unofficial visits he's done a lot of research to his credit and he's he's seen a lot of schools but still to 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 throw this at him two weeks before signing day a month before signing day and say hey here pick your future that's that's a lot to ask of a 17 year old kid yeah here pack several years of a recruiting process into one month and and figure it out and go from there and that's the crazy thing i think sometimes we tend to forget not all of these recruiting processes are are created equally noah kane who we'll get to on this podcast he's been recruited by power five programs since the tail end of his freshman year of high school you've got guys like smith vilbert transitioned from basketball to football as a focus the same goes uh, for dewan jones guys who came into high school focused on basketball picked up football as an upperclassman. It turned out to be their high-ceiling sport and their gateway to really big-time college athletics. We saw it last year with Jason Away versus Micah Parsons, who was recruited from his freshman year. So some of these guys, it's like, I've been doing this for three, four years. I just can't wait to sign and be done with it and just totally just move on with my life. And others are just still getting acclimated to the process. So it's interesting when you kind of have that juxtaposition in place. Plus, coaches want those guys on there in January, and you've got guys like Adisa Isaac, uh, Zach Harrison's still out there. He's a January kid. Noah Kane's a January kid. So some of these guys don't have the the luxury of waiting it out. But you know, a lot of these guys have been in the process for a long, long time, and that's. Uh, 
sort of been positive for them, negative uh, at times. But uh, yeah, I mean, from a Penn State standpoint, you're looking at trying to close on the defensive line. I think we, we've been talking about that since probably October. That's where the priorities lie. Mentioned to Disa Isaac, still feel good about where Penn State stands with him. He could announce any time up to, to uh, next Wednesday. Jared Harrison Hunt, which is another guy where when you ask him one day, he might sign in December. He's coming off of a Penn State official. It's a really good trip. Wants to go see Miami. All of a sudden, there's a coaching change in Miami. Not sure how that's going to go. So, um, you know, it's just uh, uh, it, it's so fascinating how just one little thing can change everything. Back to Harrison Hunt for a second. I still like my Penn State pick, though he, he wants to check out Alabama. He wants to check out Michigan. He wants to see these different things. Not that he hasn't seen a lot of schools, but if the opportunity is there, you know, that group is, is going to take those trips. Smith Vilbert's another one that's uh, sort of new to the process, and you're not sure how that one's going to turn out. I think he had a great visit to Penn State. I put in my 24-7 sports crystal ball pick after his official visit. So defensive line is where it's at. Um, Devon Ellis is still out there. We'll get to him in a minute with the coaching visits, but defense lines where it's at Penn State has an opportunity to sign to maybe three four of these guys in the next week and that's what they're looking to do yeah you mentioned talking about this since October I remember us talking about are these guys on commitment watch coming to the last bash or w- around that time so it's been a long time coming for this defensive group it feels like forever ago since Hakeem Beeman made his commitment on June 1st and, and he's that one uh, piece on the defensive front now but you know it's a matter of days here and we anticipate if things shake out the way they appear they will, and, and you're prognosticating, and Brian Doan and Steve and everyone has got their ear on the situation and finger on the pulse, sure seems like Penn State's going to put together a really strong defensive class, but I know fans won't be uh, settled in with that, and, and certainly the coaching staff won't be until uh, those LOIs are actually sent in to Penn State. Well, it's so funny with, with the crystal ball nowadays. I think I put my pick in for Adisa in April or May or something like that. Put mine in for Harrison Hunt in June or July. And, and of course, Smith Vilbert's a little bit different. But it, it's so funny when you see these crystal ball picks now, you think, okay, something's coming right away. Well, that's not necessarily the case. And, and you know, to, to Penn State's credit, they've been able to weather some storms. They've done some some good jobs recruiting some guys. And I think Adisa and, and, and Harrison Hunt fit into that mix. But, yeah, it's, it, it's excruciating sometimes for some of the fans that live on our message boards at Lions 24-7 and, and we love them to death. Following day to day is is probably not great for your heart, but uh, we appreciate you do that anyway, and we we encourage you to do so. Um, moving down the defensive line, Zach Harrison's going to announce next Wednesday, and I love it. I love it. No uh, announcement, no hat game, no press conference, anything like that. Just going to tweet it out, whatever, which actually fits Zach Harrison's recruitment really well. Still think that uh, Ohio State and Michigan probably have the upper hand, but this is one we're, we're all guessing at. Just He does not give things away. He does not give things away to uh, reporters. He does not give things away to college coaches who think that, you know, that they might be in it or they might be out of it. So it's going to be interesting to see which one, which way this one goes. I'm curious to see if Ohio State, after the coaching change, actually it actually helps them not sure you know his personal opinion on urban meyer or anything like that but that's a certainly an an eyebrow raiser when it comes to you know how ohio state closed the season what kind of uh, impact ryan day will have on the situation um but yeah penn state remains in this one don't expect him to come to penn state but still that is just the the air of 
mystery surrounding his recruitment means you have to pay attention to it. You mentioned he's not giving away anything to reporters and coaches, and he's not giving anything away to social media. And how rare is that in, in today's you know recruiting uh, universe? We're so used to seeing updates from, from all these different prospects, whether it's you know top list or, or their plans. And, and I'm, I would not be surprised if from Zach Harrison we just literally get one word, the name of the school with a period. He tweets it out. If you actually have been accepted as a follower for his Twitter account, you'll get to see it. I, that maybe 700 people have. Um, and, and then he'll be on his way. And it's going to be interesting with him. And, uh, you know, kudos to him. If this is the way he wanted to approach it and attack this process, I've heard guys say that early in their high school career. They wanted to have a low profile and kind of take this mentality. And eventually they either crack or, or everything gets to them and, and they get caught up in the hype. And um, didn't happen with Zach Harrison by all accounts. So we'll find out Wednesday. It's going to be interesting. I mean, one way or another, Penn State's going to see him on a football field in 2019. Someone made a mention on our boards at Lions 24-7 that he should block all the recruiting reporters before he puts that tweet out, which I would find hysterical. Um, but uh, it is what it is. Zach Harrison announcing on signing day. Also announcing on signing day, Noah Kane running back from IMG Academy. Penn State trending in this one. Uh, we, we've, we've said for a long time, he took his official visit in the fall. We, we said, as long as Jay Wansider is here, as long as those relationships are strong, you know, other schools have come and gone. You've seen Auburn come and go Georgia Texas uh, you know LSU of course have picked up a couple of good backs so some crazy things have happened but everyone kind of feels like they're up against Penn State in this situation and whenever that happens the common denominator being that one school that's the one school you got to look out for I mean what a sequence of events you know this time last year you know Penn State doesn't even have an offer out to Noah Kane and, and this is a guy as I said earlier here on the podcast freshman year on he was someone who was in that national spotlight I remember speaking with him maybe a week before his first game of his sophomore season and he was already talking about the Oklahomas and Texases and Miamis of the world and, and now here we are and and, and I mean, Sider obviously has spearheaded a lot in South Florida, but I think when you look at this particular recruitment, he was the guy who personally extended the offer to Kane in January. I think it was within a week or so of his hiring at Penn State. Uh, you know, he was the one who really pushed and convinced Noah and this father to make the trip in April, which really surprised Noah with how much he enjoyed it. I think from there, it's been a combination of cider, uh, growing rapport with James Franklin, and the way they've talked to him about Saquon Barkley and, and the way they'll build brands for their players, that's made a big impression because when you're someone like Noah Kane, who's been in the national spotlight for three or four years now, you go to a school like an IMG Academy, you share a backfield with a five-star running back in Trey Sanders, you're not afraid to take on the hype that might surround you. You want to take ownership of that and you want to get to the NFL down the line. You want to be a star in the sport. Noah Kane looking for a spot to set him up for that. And when you look at the teams that are in the mix here, teams that are looking to add a running back in this class, if Penn State can pull this off, get him up the Happy Valley. Now, do I think Noah Kane's the best running back in the country? No. Do I think he's better than Devin Ford? I'm not sure. I think I'd probably take Devin Ford, give him the edge over Noah Kane. But he is a blue chip running back. I think he can be a very good college football player. And so to be able to pull this off, and, and sign him next week if they can do that. Uh, you know, that, that's pretty impressive. And by the way, he's going to be announcing on national television. He's one of those ESPN commitments. So not only will you get a really impressive player in your class, it's going to increase that national brand, that perception, because you've got a guy for Noah Kane, played in Texas, played in Florida, from Louisiana. He's going where? Oh, Penn State. Well, that's interesting. I think that could be really a, an attention grabber for a lot of kind of fringe foot, uh, recruiting fans who maybe don't have, uh, you know, 
a board that they go to every day to check up on updates. They kind of wait until signing day to see someone like Noah Kane end up at Penn State. I think that would speak volumes about where this program's perception is right now. I think I think you're exactly right. And I was talking to my buddy Alex earlier in, in England, and he follows college football very closely. He told me he hates recruiting because of all the changes and everything like that. So some, as to someone like that, and hi, Alex, by the way, uh, someone like that, uh, it's uh, it's one of those things where you show up. It's, it's sort of like going to church and, on Christmas or Easter or something like that. You show up a couple of days a year, you get the gist of it, and you go. Um, that's uh, that's a situation where we, we see in recruiting a lot so it's gonna be a busy week next week um trevor keegan and this will, we're recording on thursday afternoon his his announcement's coming out on friday still think it's michigan for trevor keegan i think penn state was sort of on the the outside of this one looking in from the start had a good visit to penn state last weekend but uh you never know it's but it seems like penn state michigan right now yeah and i mean you know speaking of podcasts i had a chance to to read through some of what steve wiltfong said on his 24 7 sports recruiting podcast and um you know he seems to think that you know a lot of teams are gonna you know these two other teams georgia and michigan have a tough time maybe contending with with the with the relationships that have been established you know in almost two years of this recruitment with penn state obviously it's an it's nice to get him on campus one week before he makes this decision but uh, clearly you know reading the crystal ball as it's important to do this time year there's a network of trusted analysts out there in 24 7 really seem to be uh you know siding with uh, the wolverines in this one and you know if he doesn't come to penn state that that you know continues to put the focus on these other offensive linemen you know, whether it's dewan jones who just got that offer or jakai moore who's you know narrowed his focus and you know it, it's certainly another piece of the puzzle that we're, we're going to have some clarity on um once that announcement comes friday i don't think there's a specific time for that so that could come in the morning could come in the afternoon, but stay tuned with Trevor Keegan. And you can't forget about Doug Nestor either, committed to Ohio State. We said they probably won't sign, maybe take an official visit to uh, Penn State in January, and we're, we'll see where they stand. So uh, a lot of interesting things still happening. James Franklin on the move again this week, visiting prospects. Uh, Penn State actually had their postseason awards banquet last Sunday, and from that, got on a plane at University Park Airport, flew five hours to Eugene, Oregon for an in-home with Michael Johnson that night, um, which is pretty pretty crazy when you think about the logistics of it. Got on a plane the next morning, flew back to New Jersey to check in on some some schools there. It's just, I, I get it, you know, flying private is, is different than what you and I are used to, flying super economy uh, coach or whatever. But uh, it's, uh, it's a lot of miles. That's a lot of uh, time in the air. It's a lot of time zone changes. And it's, it's crazy to think about when you just boil down the logistics of it. Franklin is a versatile traveler. I mean, you got him going from State College to the Pacific Northwest. You got him going from Harrisburg to State College. I mean, he's all over the place in different methods. And I saw he had that flight to New Jersey. I was like, I got to get some flights to New Jersey in my life from State College. Tired of making that drive. But you know, that's when you make the big bucks and you have the keys to the car of a big program like this. You need those kind of resources. And Franklin has clearly capitalized on it. He's been everywhere. I think last Friday, breakfast with Noah Kane and, and the family down in Sarasota, Florida. And then he's up uh, in, Her- in Hershey, Pennsylvania that afternoon to watch Julian Fleming play football in the state championship game. So he's been all over the place. And, um, you know, you mentioned Michael Johnson. He's a guy who will be on campus in January. And I think, you know, people are really interested in the uncommitted stuff and, and, and the guys who don't know yet where they're headed. I think it's it's also very important to make sure these final in visits, any questions that need to be answered are answered. 
Um, you know, it's, it's usually a celebration. It's a party for, for what's next. It's almost like a graduation ceremony of a recruiting process because the next step is becoming a part of that team. So a special moment for the, for those guys. And, and you're right. For, uh, you know, we can't say it enough about uh, the tireless effort that Franklin and his staff has put in. Obviously not necessarily unique to Penn State, but you can certainly say the Nittany Lions are, are charging in recruiting uh, just as much as anyone right now in the country. Being a college coach, you know, I know they're well compensated, much, much more so than you and I, but it just seems exhausting. One more, at least off the top of my head, one more in-home official, or excuse me, one home, one more in-home visit, excuse me, for James Franklin to make to a committed prospect. That's Keaton Ellis, and I think it's probably the one he's looking forward to the most because he can just leave Ellis's house and go straight to his own. Um, but on the move this week, he went to Jersey, went to the Lehigh Valley, saw a couple of walk-on commits, uh, Anthony De Silva and Delton. Uh, Dalton Deldana, sorry, uh, at Bethlehem Catholic, um, checked in on Tim Weaver at Saucon Valley, actually got a Syracuse scholarship offer this week, so good for him, um, and then jetted down to Baltimore, saw Devon Ellis, who remains a priority target for Penn State, think Ohio State has worked its way out of this one, um, you know, of course, Michigan and USC have offered late, but Penn State, using that in-home visit, tells me that they want him to sign this week, or excuse me, next week in the early signing period, which is an interesting thing, because they didn't not use their in-home visit for Smith Vilbert because that was kind of on and off last week or excuse me this week Um, so I I think it's a very interesting approach when you say that Devon Ellis who has talked about going into January with his recruitment talked about going into February uh, welcomed Penn State into their house Uh, James Franklin of course was in in that mix so for Ellis to say that says a lot about where he might uh, being be ending ending up on Wednesday. Yeah, and I think, you know, again, the hardcore recruiting fans probably already know this, but James Franklin can't just show up to the same house every Friday, knock on the door and say, hey, is Zach Harrison home? Can we have a chat? No, there is a structure. It's very rigid in the NCAA about what you're allotted, these in-home visits, when you can use them. So there's a lot of strategy involved. And and when you want to burn that, do you need to save it? Um, and, And I think that's a very interesting thing that, again, the player personnel departments, people wonder why these recruiting staffs are so big. Someone's got to piece this puzzle together to take care of all the logistics while James Franklin and coaches are actually, you know, preparing for football games. So uh, there's a lot that goes into this final stretch. And I apologize. I'm stumbling all over myself right now, so I'm sorry about that. It's an exciting time of the year, Sean. Yeah, we'll go with that. We'll go with that. Uh, from from Maryland, Franklin went down to uh, the Fort Lauderdale, uh, Miami area to see John Dunmore. John Dunmore, a really interesting case. He's been committed to Penn State since the summer. But, you know, of course, other schools are going to come after him. We talked about that probably when he committed back in uh, July 4th. Um, but Miami is the school that he's been checking out. He's been there a couple of times, and, and the Miami coaches were in-house uh, earlier this this week, talked to his mother. His mother's a big Penn State proponent, but still, you know, it's going to be tough to overcome that 20-minute drive or whatever it is to over to Coral Gables. Penn State coming out of the visit, um, you know, we, we, we really haven't checked too much into that in-home yet. Uh, things seem okay, but of course, there's a, it seems like a long time until signing day. We're recording on Thursday afternoon. A week from now, it's hard to say what's going to happen, but Penn State just lost Emory Simmons, who flipped from Penn State to, uh, to North Carolina over the weekend or late last week. Um, but yeah, so that that wide receiver class very much in flux. Uh, 
John John Dunmore got a visit, and then James Franklin flew to Connecticut to see Cornelius Johnson, who's pretty much a Penn State-Michigan battle. Stanford was in there. Notre Dame was in there. I think those two, Penn State and Michigan, are still in there. He's going to Michigan this weekend. Um, so, yeah, Penn State really trying to patch together that receiver class that looked really good a couple of weeks ago. Really intrigued by this whole receiver situation because you think, wow, you could end up with two four-star guys or National Signing Day could come and, and all of a sudden you have no receiver commitments. There's a lot in play here. Um, and it's it, this to tell you how crazy this week is and in this whole final stretch short signing day, I almost forgot that we haven't recorded a podcast since Emory Simmons you know, flipped back to North Carolina. Uh, and, and he was a very talented player. I know some people saw the three-star composite ranking and, and kind of saw him deeper on the list among these Penn State commitments. But I think he had a lot of potential if he were to come and join the Nittany Lions. A huge pickup for Mac Brown in North Carolina. And, and this is a young man, obviously, who has done his fair share of flipping. It's the second time, actually, that he's flipped from a Big Ten program to North Carolina. So we wish him well, but he will not be in the future here. With John Dunmore, man, I'll tell you what, every year you hear about it, it's tough for these kids from the Miami community. Hurricanes mean a lot. Uh, you know, especially you talk about the generation above John Dunmore. Hurricanes ruled college football there for a chunk of time. And and there's a, a lot of, you know, we got to return this thing to glory mentality there. And, and they've struggled to get that program to be consistently, uh, you know, at a high level. Mark Rick seemed to turn a corner last year. This year, I completely imploded. And now you're seeing it on the recruiting trail. Heck, if they were to get John Dunmore to somehow flip away from Penn State, obviously they're pushing to do that. That would be an outlier for how their recruiting cycle is going. Things are completely unraveling for the Miami Hurricanes right now. It's only getting worse with their defensive coordinator taking the head coaching job at Temple. They are not in a good spot right now. Uh, you know, but I'm not surprised, regardless, that John Dunmore, you know, the, the, the family – friends i'm not saying his immediate family but just people around him clearly his teammates close friends there's going to be a lot of noise about him staying being a star for the miami hurricanes and again this is another recruitment with jay one cider james franklin leading the way they're able to pull this off get him up the happy valley based on one earlier official visit huge success uh, for them and, and they're going to add a nice receiver but we'll see how that goes and, and we don't know what's going to happen with cornelius johnson with him finishing things up in ann arbor yeah, with with Dunmore, you're weathering the hurricane, as as Mark Brennan would probably write in a in a, <laughs> in a title of an article. But yeah, you're going to have to weather that storm for a few days. You're not sure how it's going to go, and it's going to come down to the relationships, I think, versus the distance. Um, of course, Dunmore has three teammates that are committed to Miami as of this recording. Um, which, by the way, a side note: if you want to see how crazy recruiting is, we have a decommitment tracker, and Miami is, uh, I think, the number one by far in terms of uh, 2019, 2020 decommitments. It's it's an insane number. It's probably changing as we record, but it's uh, it's fascinating to see. But so you're talking about uh, relationships with Franklin, especially Cider. Cider has been recruiting him since he was a freshman in high school. Um, but uh, the relationships, if, if if Penn State can sign him, the relationships will have won out. You'll see what kind of um, pull that Penn State could have and the effort that they put forth for John Dunmore. Um, it's uh, I, I'd say strap in because he's probably going to go to Miami. That's not been something that's confirmed on either end uh, for an official visit, but. Uh, it'll be uh, it'll be crazy to see where he goes from there. We mentioned Franklin is in uh, Connecticut on Thursday morning, Thursday afternoon as we're recording. He's going to go see Ja'Kai Moore in Virginia. That's another one that's coming down to the wire. You're thinking Penn State versus South Carolina, as you've thought for most of the process. Clemson was in there for a hot second, but uh, he's not going to go there this weekend for an official visit. So you're, you're, you're talking about Penn State coming in Thursday, Will Muschamp, I believe, coming in Friday. That's going to be one that's uh, that's down to the wire. Penn 
State, you know, I think I think they're in a good spot here. My crystal ball is on them. It's a it's a interesting situation because our crystal balls and and the national crystal balls are on Penn State. The local guys at South Carolina feel, you know, I guess fairly strongly that uh, he's going to South Carolina because it's it's uh, they're on the Gamecocks as well. So I think this one's coming down to the wire, and it's a big deal because uh, you're still looking for offensive tackles in this class. Ja'Kai Moore has been very high on the board. I mean, you you kind of throw out his composite ranking right now. I think he's a mid to high three star, um, but is a kid that Penn State really likes as an offensive tackle, and he can play a few positions for you. Versatile guy, good basketball player, good athlete. That's a guy you want to add to your program. Yeah, and Tyler Bowen, you know, big part of the situation from the get, you know, really helped push this door open for Penn State because he previously uh, was involved with Ja'Kai Moore on behalf of the Maryland Terrapin staff. And, you know, this is a guy that, that I think, you know, I agree with you. I think, I think you know, look past the three-star thing. This isn't the time to get caught up with stars. If James Franklin's getting on a jet and going to see a kid, he's a, a guy you want to get on your campus as a football player. Um, so I will say, you know, the, can they do it again in Virginia? They, you know, can they close out a tremendously successful cycle in Virginia? I believe Ja'Kai Moore would be the fourth top 15 prospect from Virginia to end up in Penn State's class. It's pretty ridiculous when you talk about the amount of volume uh, that gets pumped into Virginia from from programs across the country, much less the programs that reside in Virginia. So it'd be really interesting. And I think, you know, this is a South Carolina, Penn State thing, but so many of these battles we've mentioned, who are the teams involved? It's, it's uh, you know, Alabama, uh, you've got Michigan there, you've got Ohio State. You know, you're not seeing Penn State. This is where you want Penn State. You want them in these kind of battles. You don't want them competing against Syracuse and Pitt for players. They're competing against the right teams. They've been doing that for a while, and they're going to have to beat out some really impressive and respective programs to get these guys in the fold. Franklin will be back on campus tomorrow or probably late Thursday night. Um, media day, bowl media day is taking place for Penn State. We're going to talk to the coordinators, going to talk to some players as well um, ahead of the Citrus Bowl, which we've neglected to mention in the first 28 minutes and 40 seconds of this podcast. Um, but uh, it's uh, it, it's a busy time because these visitors aren't stopping. Penn State doesn't have a, uh, a an official visitor scheduled this weekend. As of right now, that might change by the time we stop recording. But my, my, my boy TD here uh, came through with some some big scoop this week Penn State getting a five-star on campus this weekend yeah not an official visitor but a big unofficial one and Julian Fleming um, I know folks are excited every time he gets to campus everyone wants to put him on commitment alert every time he gets to campus too Uh, but Fleming we had a chance to catch up for about 15-20 minutes Tuesday night and really without me bringing up the subject he said he was going to be on campus this uh, this weekend for a practice by now I think everyone knows all about Fleming he's going to go down as an all-timer among Pennsylvania prep prospects he's a top 10 composite player top ranked receiver in the country and a guy who just put together a 1500 yard season and was Gatorade player of the year as a junior so I think with Fleming um, I don't know what needs to be answered for him I think it's more about everything else in the recruitment that it is Penn State he knows what he's getting with Franklin he has a really good feel for what's going on in that locker room he has resources Micah Parsons is one of those players who has been a really good resource for him and not many people have been in Fleming's shoes as a prospect but Micah Parsons has been Um, so I think it's more about the Ohio States, the Alabamas, uh, the Southern Cows, the Notre Dames, all these other schools that he may want to check out. 
Um, you know, and, and we're going to really turn this conversation into a few different things because we touched on a lot of subjects. Uh, but what stood out, you know, very clear, he's engaged with the, with Coach Corley just about every day. He says uh, practically on a daily basis. Same goes for Josh Gaddis down in Alabama. We know they formed their relationship um, at Penn State when Gaddis was on the staff. And, and then additionally, um, big fan of Brian Hartline. He is, uh, you know, Ohio State taking the interim tag off of Hartline's title. He's their receivers coach moving forward now. He was on the sideline along with James Franklin. So was Virginia Tech's wide receivers coach uh, last Friday for that state championship game. So Julian Fleming knows the noise is always going to be around him, especially with Penn State living you know less than 90 miles away uh, from campus. But I think he's in a good spot right now. He, he put it a good way that I think a lot of recruits forget to have this perspective when they are of Julian Fleming's caliber. He says he says it's it. He knows what he will bring to the table for a football program in terms of work ethic, athleticism, skills, day to day accountability. What he says, he needs to know what everyone else is bringing to the table, and he needs to, to get those things out. So he's going to sort through options. Uh, you know, it'll be interesting. But anyone who thinks uh, this thing is coming to an end soon, you know, hold your horses. I, I think this could go all the way to next signing day because he wants to use all five officials, and some of those are going to come next fall. But, again, anytime Julian Fleming is on campus interacting with your coaches and players, it's a great thing. He was on campus for the first three games of this season. He was on campus for the spring game back in April. So you can't ask for much more if you're Penn State than to keep going on that course. Yeah, I don't know that it'll go until next signing day. I think he's he's seen a lot of schools. He's been able to get out and and, and see some of these schools for unofficial visits. I think he will stretch it out to take official visits in the spring. Then we'll see where he goes from there. But I like I still like where Penn State stands. By the way, you're right, phenomenal talent. Um, you know, as good as uh, Penn, Pennsylvania talent since Micah. Um, so uh, watching that one will will be entertaining. And also, you're going to give our guy RMJ a heart attack mentioning Corley and Gaddis back to back. So that'll be fun to watch on the board. Anyway. Uh, we put out our postseason awards for Penn State this week. We'll get a little football talk in here. Um, nothing over the top, but you, myself, Mark Brennan, uh, we got together. Offensive MVP, we all gave to Trace. Um, we, we, you and I were pretty much spot on. Well, we, of course we were spot on. We were pretty <laughs> much aligned in what we do um, uh, with, with the MVPs and stuff like that. Went with the Rookie of the Year. This is the first one that, that split with K.J. Hamler and Pat Fryermuth. Two good picks there, but we both went with K.J. Hamler. Yeah, KJ to me, I mean, the fact is he got 41 passes, doesn't jump out of you. No one else on this roster caught 25. So he would have so far and away your most effective guy. I know people will point toward the fact that, you know, the he didn't reach the end zone late in the season. Much much of the second half of the season, he wasn't the same, uh, you know, I guess, filling the box score like you may have seen early, specifically the Ohio State game, of course. But I just think what he did, uh, uh, you know, the entire body of work, got a lot of respect for Pat Fryermuth. Um, but I, I thought to me, K.J. Hamler, you know, from start to finish was your most important freshman component on that offense yeah i think so um it, it was it was one of those things where he was such a weapon of course he got hurt uh, in the ohio state game and that i think changed a lot of things and we talked about that before and we're not going to rehash them but when he's out there that's a different offense that's an offense that's got a lot more explosion to it and to see him take a drag route or take a take a deep post or something and just sprint to the end zones it, it's a special thing so love uh love what they come, have coming back with both of those guys offensive unsung hero i went with miles sanders um you know it, it you don't 
think of a 1200 yard back as an unsung hero, but we also, you know, we talked about, we didn't think Miles Sanders probably got the ball as much as he should have, but he was, he was effective as a runner. He wasn't Saquon Barkley. Nobody expected him to be Saquon Barkley. Seemed to be always moving forward, you know, had a little trouble with fumbles at times, especially late in the games, but uh, he was, uh, he is a really good player for Penn State. And he's one of those guys who think he really has a tough decision ahead of him um, with, with running backs being what they are. So I'm not, sh- not so sure we see him next year. Yeah, ball security aside, he gave you everything you could have asked for this season. And quite frankly, I think Penn State at times could have asked more of him and he would have delivered in those situations. But that's where it is. I went with Ryan Bates. I mean, to me, I could have easily split that up. Connor McGovern, Ryan Bates. I just think those guys are linchpins. They got the ability to slide into different spots because of injuries, because of performance. They had to do that yet again this year. These guys have been all over the football field across that line for the past three years, racking up a ton of starts. Both got all Big Ten honors. Um, and so I went with Bates, but but I think both of those guys deserve some recognition. I certainly don't think they were being talked about very often during the 2018 season. Also, two guys that have decisions to make. We talk about defensive MVP. Uh, Yitor Gross Matos swept it. Micah Parsons swept the, or excuse me, swept the defensive rookie of the year. Unsung hero, of course. You know I'm going to go with Sharif Miller because I can't go a podcast without talking about Sharif Miller and then you went with Nick Scott I thought that was an interesting pick yeah so to me Nick Scott you know coming in as a running back in 2014 Saquon Barkley shows up all that happens ends up being a dynamic player for you on special teams a guy that was really important on special teams and I think to get the opportunity to step up as a fifth year starter you know that's something he earned he's a captain back-to-back years he went out and produced it's not like this was some kind of uh, you know career acknowledgement hey here's a starting gig just because you've been around you've been a good soldier for us he had 59 tackles that was fifth among Penn State players in the regular season tied for the team lead with three interceptions none bigger than the one that slammed the door shut on Iowa uh, in a game they really really needed to have at home uh, back in back in October so uh, yeah I went with Nick Scott and and Brennan picked Kevin Givens and I think that's a pretty popular pick for in terms of looking for someone under the radar you hear Kevin Givens especially from James Franklin himself about someone who probably doesn't get enough publicity yeah, Miller and Givens were the two guys that I think I pointed to in my section. But uh, yeah, better than the box score is what we've been saying all year about Miller. I think you could throw Givens into that mix as well. And Givens is, uh, or excuse me, Miller, I believe, won the defensive MVP from the team. So that says something about uh, you know how well he played and how accurate I am. So anyway, moving <laughs> on. Uh, we, we can talk about the MVPs is fine, but it's more about the unsung heroes. It's more about the, uh, the guys that have surprised. And Jan Johnson was a guy that surprised this year. Uh, don't think he's a guy that blew in anybody away but still when you talk about the lack of consistency at linebacker he was a guy that you look to as uh as as probably Penn State's most consistent performer there Garrett Taylor was also mentioned by by Mark Brennan as sort of a surprise guy so um you know I think those are two guys they've got coming back and they're, they're solid guys back there and they did a good job yeah, I think you know one of the first things out of Franklin's mouth during preseason camp sessions was, you know, Jan Johnson's playing really well. He's playing really consistent. And we're all curious about the linebackers. Remember at that time in August, Manny Bowen's back on the roster. We're trying to figure out where he stands. Micah Parsons is a complete unknown commodity. Jesse Lucetta was doing good things early. And, and just it's, it's a lot of unknowns in that group. And Jan Johnson was someone who kept coming up. And still, I think the perception continued Okay, it'll, he'll be a placeholder. Someone else will step up. You know, that's Ellis Brooks is going to take over that. And Ellis Brooks certainly got his fair share of reps, but I thought Jan Johnson did what he needs to do. He was accountable in his role. He tackled through ball carriers. You always saw him, you know, he didn't get dragged around the football field. I, I didn't see him as a liability really at stages. I thought they did a nice job 
utilizing him in situations where he can flourish and then bringing him to the sideline in spots where his athleticism and skill set maybe wasn't there. So this is more than just some, you know, cute walk-on story. This is a guy who went out there and I think really sealed the deal for him having a big role next year in this defense. And by the way, we skipped over it, uh, but we're on the same page with our offensive surprise standout, Pat Fryermuth. You know, we both thought very highly of him coming in as a recruit. Didn't see him catching seven touchdowns in Big Ten play, though. No, nobody did, really. It was one of those things where we we knew he would get on the field. And, and, you know, of course, he came in with Zach Koontz, who was rated higher. But we said, you know, we said pretty consistently that Friar Muth would be the guy that could step in and play right away. And for him to go from where he went, uh, just enrolling in May and getting into the program, of course, he's a year older, so he's a little bit more mature. But uh, for him to go where he went with, uh, you know, he stepped up and grabbed it. We talked about tight ends in the in the preseason with Bowers, with Holland, with the with Danny Dalton even. Now, all of a sudden, you've got a true freshman coming in there that's uh, grabbed those reps, taken them, and, and he's not giving them back anytime soon. So it's going to be interesting to see, number one, where the tight end, what the tight end room looks like next year. Number two, how good this kid can be. Yeah, it was, this was such a complete unknown. I remember, you know, after the first or second or maybe the third game, we were talking on the podcast and you're like, well, the tight end, you know, we don't have much to say. And, and maybe that's a good thing because we thought it could be a liability or we thought it could be kind of a spot where, where there's deficiencies. And it goes from like status quo is good enough to, wow, we've got a legitimate, you know, this guy, I mean, Pat Frymer is going to be an all big 10 preseason pick next year. If he's not, there's a major issue with the, with the system. And, and there already is a major issue, but I, I got to say, really impressed by Pat Fryermuth and also excited to see what Zach Koontz does with the full you know winter conditioning this will be a second winter conditioning program second spring practice and this is a guy we've talked about it give him a year in the program he's going to have that year so yeah those three veterans Dalton Hollins uh, Bowers, you know, what do they do? It's going to be interesting to see how they handle the situation. What's interesting, also interesting is Bowers is a guy they think he can still make a roster. You know, he can, he might be a draft kid. I mean, you talk about how well he tests. He's a really athletic kid. Not sure how, how many people follow along with uh, as, as closely as we do with the athletic stuff, but Nick Bowers is a really athletic kid and he's getting reps taken from him. But, you know, the second tight ends have popped up in the NFL. You, you need a guy that's 270 that can block for you on the edge. And he's a guy that I think could work his way into the back of the draft if not just make a roster uh, as a free agent special teams moving on don't really think there was any surprises there of course uh, you and I picked Gillikin, which you know special teams were all over the place and Blake Gillikin did not have a great year but you still look at where the rest of the special teams were the return game was very good earlier in the year kind of went away uh, Raf Cheka was was good earlier in the year he kind of tailed off a little bit Jake Pinniger was really good at the end of the year but you just went with uh, with Blake Gillikin uh, wait Sean Sean I didn't go with Blake Gillikin on the MVP. I, oh, I, wow. I went with Jake Finneger. Uh, and for me, I just felt like Blake Gillikin, week to week, you weren't sure what you were getting. And I felt like by the end of the year, you kind of knew what you were getting with Jake Pinniger. And this team showed a lot of trust in him. Uh, he was a guy who was one for three from field goals through the first four games of the season. Uh, a completely different story after that Ohio State game, after the bye week. He ends up going three for three from beyond 40 in a six-point win over Iowa. Needed all those points. You badly needed that victory. By the way, his first career college game, you want to talk about pressure? If he misses that extra point, Penn State loses at home to App State. Uh, that wasn't the highlight for me, but I thought the way he finished convinced me that this kid was the most valuable member of special teams. Now, Gillikin in that room, everyone will tell you and point to Gillikin as the leader, as the most valuable member of that group. But for me, hey, no kicker, no Big Ten kicker made more field goals in conference play than, than Jake Pinniger, 14 of them, uh, and, and no one tried more from beyond 40 yards 
during Big Ten play. He tried 10 of them. Um, so I think the staff, where they were from the start of the season to the end of the season, showing the confidence, um, yeah, I, I think they, they got themselves a good kicker, which is a good thing to see when you invest a scholarship at the position. Well, that'll teach me to scroll before uh, <laughs> before reading or before uh, assuming what's going on. Uh, anyway, a guy that we, we highlighted down at the bottom, Lamont Wade. Uh, you had him, I think, as an unsung hero or and I had him as a as a surprise performer but by the end of the year he was pretty consistent there as a gunner um you know he was he was on a lot of special teams did a lot of things finished with a lot of tackles and and still a reserve safety and and I'm not not really here to talk about his special teams performance but this is a guy that comes up a, a whole lot especially on our boards at Lions 24/7 you know he had the pedigree as a highly rated recruit you know rated too high i, I think that was safe to say when it happened i think rivals had him as a five star which no disrespect to Lamont was was pretty pretty uh, ambitious, but uh, it's uh, it's one of those things where he's two years into his career and people have have considered him just had completely written him off. I think he's going to be in the safety uh, mix. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. Four guys that are going uh, going to be here for the spring. Of course, Jaquan Brisker is going to come in um, after he's done at Lackawanna, but still think he's in the mix. Still think he has a lot of good football to play. Yeah, I mean it's no secret there were some special teams issues over the course of this season that, that popped up especially during the first half of the year. But I thought, you know, overall, you look at the punt coverage and it, it was good. And I know you mentioned that in, in, in your, you know, your reasoning here with Wade. And that was, I thought he was a linchpin of that group. He did a great work um, in that gunner role. And, and he's somebody, you know, sometimes you wonder uh, when a guy who's, you know, praised like he was as a prospect, um, you know, came onto campus with a bunch of notoriety. People expect him to vault up the depth chart right away. Always wonder if a guy is going to be still mentally checked in if after you know into the second season on campus he's still not as you know emerging in that role how does he adapt well Lamont Wade I think has done a great job adapting doing what's in within his power you know handling those duties on special teams he's got a lot of respect in that locker room I think among the coaching staff so um, yeah I went with Lamont Wade as, as kind of an unsung hero there quite simply because uh, I think a lot of people are focused on what he hasn't done at safety uh, you know but he's contributing to this team in a key role yeah, interested to see what the spring brings for him. Of course, next uh, next fall camp will be a big one for him when Brisker arrives. Um, but uh, yeah, beyond that, Penn State's going to get their bowl prep underway. I think we we have a couple of guys that you can point to as as being big for uh, for those guys to step in. You're going to get younger guys reps, and I know a guy that you're watching closely, Jason Elway, uh, defensive end. I don't really expect him to play in the bowl game, but guys like that, guys like him, guys like Justin Shorter, you know, those younger guys that have adapted to the college game by now whether or not they're going to play in the bowl or play a prominent role in the bowl game uh, is, is sort of off to the side we're not really worried about that at, the, at this point but bowl practices are there guys that stick out to you that the the next couple of weeks could be big for yeah uh, and it's and it's jason away you know I, I i don't need to see him get a sack against against kentucky would that be great for 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 jason and for penn state that would be awesome. But I think it's what he's doing right now that we're not seeing. With Jason, it's all about reps, 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 just building them up under Sean Spencer's supervision. It's why he went to Penn State in large part was to get to work with him. And the kid's been like a sponge when you talk to people within this program, talk to his old high school coach. I mean, it's easy to forget football wasn't a concern for him as a junior in high school. He was going to a school to continue his basketball career. 
It, it was a secondary sport for him, and now here he is. We've seen what he could do in flashes. No one's going to forget that Kent State game, and I'm sure people are going to point to that as, you know, why, would, why haven't we seen Jason Moore? But they're in a great spot at defensive end. They didn't need to rush him on the football field. They weren't going to. And then offensively, I think because he missed time early in his college career, Justin Shorter, you know, what can he do late in this first season on campus? Because, look, it wasn't the uh, fireworks show that, that some people would expect from the top-ranked uh, recruit at his position in the country. But we've talked about it time and time again. Justin Shorter was banged up during training camp. That is such a huge setback for a freshman, a true freshman. Um, and he worked his way, you know, got on the field. He, that, that's going to be big for him. He now knows what a what a Big Ten game looks like, and he has some experience out there. Uh, but I think whether or not, again, he contributes or flashes in the bowl game, this month of practice is big for him because of the time he missed earlier this year. I look to running back and, you know, we mentioned earlier, Miles Sanders is going to have a, a decision to make eventually. Um, Ricky Slade's got an opportunity in front of him to, to get some touches to, to sort of solidify himself. You know, if Sanders does indeed go pro, of course, you're losing Johnny Thomas. You don't have Mark Allen anyway, but you're losing him to sort of get a leg up on Journey Brown and, and potentially CJ Holmes as well. So that running back room, I think is probably going to be one of the more, um, you know, intriguing spots in bowl practice. And then I flip over to the other side where you're losing a safety in Nick Scott, and you, you know, you've got uh, a guy like Jonathan Sutherland who played a bunch this year. Um, he, he stepped in as a starter when when Garrett Taylor was out for uh, the targeting uh, penalty. Um, so it's uh, Sutherland is a guy that's going to try and solidify himself going into the spring, going up against uh, Lamont Wade and Aaron Monroe, and and you know some of those guys. So it's going to be uh, a really big couple of weeks for a couple of. I, I look more to the position groups than the individual players, but running back and and safety, there's plenty of opportunity there. Moving forward and I know in a lot of ways uh, it can kind of our viewpoint at this at, at this stage Micah Parsons has kind of crossed over almost to veteran status because he's on the field every single game but let's not forget it's the guy who picked up linebacker earlier this year so another month of dealing with that, that that's, a, that's a huge bonus for him. And, and I would expect Micah Parsons to, to finish this season strong. He, he's made strides every game. I think you give him a month. Uh, the confidence is there. I have to imagine things are really starting to click between him and Brent Pry. Wouldn't be surprised if he plays his best football in the Citrus Bowl. Two guys in the offensive line that, or three guys on the offensive line that I'm looking to. Um, you, you've got reps to go around in, in bowl practices. You want to take it easy on your older guys, but you've got Rashid Walker at tackle, Mike Miranda at guard, and Des Holmes, who's played both guard and tackle. Young guys that can step in there, they can get quality reps, and you know, going to sort of make a run at that two deep next year. So, um, I, I mean, let's be honest. There's there's spots to be won, um, not just in not for this season, not for the bowl game, but there's spots to be, um, you know, put yourself in a great position for it going into the spring going into fall practice next year so I think there's a lot to be gained especially by these young guys or for these young guys and a lot of them come from the 2018 class yeah the old cliche it's not how you start it's how you finish and I think in the eyes of Penn State staff as they you know when they sit down together and and decompress a little bit after I know hard to believe that this group can actually decompress with the recruiting and stuff but they will eventually gather together and one by one nitpick every position every player who developed and it's going to matter you know who ran out of gas who hit that freshman wall who didn't seem like they were really invested or physically capable of handling this final month uh and, and who did who stepped up who progressed month to month to month it's a big stepping stone and, and it can set the stage for, for guys to enter spring camp with not just the confidence but also you know with the staff really giving them longer looks 
Absolutely. Uh, intriguing couple of weeks coming for Penn State. Of course, January 1st against Kentucky in the Citrus Bowl. Uh, you will be there to cover it, and it will be um, a pretty good one. Josh Allen's going to play for Kentucky. We didn't even get to that, but uh, that's a, a flip on ESPN. I'm sure they're talking about guys not playing in bowl games. But uh, this has been the Lions 24-7 Podcast. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back with you next week for signing day. Remember to check us out on Lions247.com all week. We've got a lot of great stuff coming your way. He's Tyler Donahue. I'm Sean Fitz, and we'll see you next week. Closing time. Every new beginning comes from some other beginnings and